0: The uh, <clears throat> verses that I uh, just read are very pertinent uh, to what it uh, means to be the church, uh, teaching about things like relationships, unity, and the uh, function of leaders. And as we get on uh, uh, a couple Sundays from now, we will note how that leaders have a special Responsibility to lead in such a way that it equips others to really serve. Uh, one analogy that works fairly well uh, for uh, elders and pastors is that of a playing coach. Uh, but that's, uh, stay tuned for that. That's a little bit later. But uh, today I want to talk about uh, something else. But beginning with the wonderful outcome. When, uh, when we're firing on all cylinders, when we're what we ought to be, verse 16, from Him, the whole body. I think the song that we just uh, sang uh, is very suitable for that. From Him, from our Lord, joined and held together by every supporting ligament. Then talks about the body grows and builds itself up in love When, as each part does its work. Hmm. Today I want to look at what comes first. And I would refer to what we have in verse uh, 2 and 3 there especially as prerequisites. Prerequisites of having good relationships which leads to unity. Ministry within the whole local body. Uh, Notice how the section... Begins. He says, "I urge you," verse four, uh, chapter four, verse one. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. And uh, that word "worthy" is a little different than what uh, what we are are used to. We might say to our kids, you know, be worthy of your name or be worthy of who you are. Uh, but the idea of this, uh, this word, literally, it's bringing up the other beam of the scales. Uh, you know, make it... You know, if it's this high on this side, then you've got to bring it up the same level. It's, it's the idea of equivalence. Let there be an equivalence between the way you live and your calling. You know, if you're a farmer, uh, we expect produce from your land. If you are a teacher we expect uh, pupils to learn and if you are the captain of the Oilers though only twenty years old we expect many goals and assists and we're we're paying you millions of dollars for that and and he's doing well I like him Um, and so uh, the point here is let there be a a correspondence between your calling as a Christian as a follower of Christ and the way that you live i think that's pretty reasonable Now, we might think that such a worthy walk would be about growing towards perfection in the sense of you know our inner persons being completely pure completely sinless uh... sort of having that vertical rightness with god no guilt whatsoever Being up to date on confessing our sins and perhaps not even needing to confess very much because we have become so holy. And that might all be good. But that isn't really, that doesn't seem to be what Paul is talking about here. I think it's significant that what makes it on his short list here, as he describes the worthy walk, are the kind of qualities needed in relationships in our relationships and our capacity to relate to what kind of people and you look at that he's talking about things like patience he's talking about things like forbearance he's talking about our capacity to relate to flawed people you see that? The kinds of qualities, especially needed among us because of our rough edges. Qualities needed to relate to even even difficult people. And you say, "Yeah, really? Yeah, because what is he talking about? Note, note the qualities. I mean, patience. Mention that, forbearance." new american standard that's very careful in its translation it actually uh, has translated that last one uh, as tolerance showing tolerance for one another in love we are to have these capacities in our relationships Oh well he must be talking here about how to relate to non-christians right Surely, <laughs> surely we don't need all those qualities in relating to one another. But no, he's talking about one another. Be completely humble, gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. He is describing life within the congregation. Life among the saints. Could it be then that the Apostle Paul is allowing even assuming that the congregation will be made up of ordinary could almost say ordinary, flawed difficult people in the church it would seem so it would seem so otherwise why these qualities someone has penned the following to live among the saints I love Oh, to live above with saints I love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with saints I know, well, that's another story. But that's what what this is about. And when you think about it, when you think about it that Christians come from all kinds of different backgrounds, including broken people with struggles, each bringing their respective baggage with them. It is not surprising that it takes some special qualities to be able to have fellowship and to be able to have a warm fellowship among us. Well, what are the qualities then? And I think we should realize that this is, you know, doesn't mean that in other places Paul would have exactly the same short list, but let's look at the short list that is given here. And he begins with humility. Be completely humble. What is it? Essentially, humble, being humble is lowliness that's based on realism. It's that realistic self-appraisal where we see ourselves as lowly because in the scheme of things, that's what we are. Here's a little poem that kind of describes it for us. And... You know, it's a bit of realism here, I think. Sometime, sometime when, you feel, when you're feeling important, sometime when your ego's in bloom, sometime when you take it for granted that you're the best qualified in the room, sometimes when you feel that you're going would leave an un- unfillable hole, just follow these simple instructions and see how it humbles your soul. Take a bucket and fill it with water. Put your hand in it up to the wrists pull it out and the hole that's remaining is a measure of how you'll be missed well i think that's an exaggeration but in the larger scheme of things that would be true realistic self appraisal humility basically it's you know we begin with humility before god that's kind of the starting point or that's the foundation realizing that i'm dependent on him And that whatever I have by way of strength, ability, or significance, I have it because of God's gift to me. As we mentioned on Thanksgiving Sunday, the very accident of our birth, the fact that we should be born in in a place here or elsewhere where we could come to Canada. What what an amazing thing. Realistic, self-appraisable. What I have, God has given to me. And the sin that especially distances us from God is the sin of pride. And the reason for that would be that, well, pride says, I don't really need the Lord. I'm not dependent. I don't need His grace. And whatever I have become, I did it. Pride is ultimately competition with God. But in this context, it would be especially humility related to one another 1 Peter 5, verse 5, all of you, he says, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Relationship within the body toward one another. Clothe yourself with humility because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now please understand that humility doesn't mean that you knock yourself as being worthless that you are unaware of your gifts and your strengths or that you lie to yourself and say you know I'm a loser I'm a nothing and uh, as I said earlier I appreciated that song that uh, my identity isn't my mistakes but my identity is that I'm a child of God Uh, I think uh, here's here's a good insight humility is not think um, no instead of instead of knocking ourselves as being worthless I like this better. God made me and God don't make no junk. Yeah, it's good. But here's an insight about humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. I like that. We are important. We know that. God cares about us. But part of humility is not to be so focused in on ourselves. Realistic self-appraisal. Well, I gave you a bit of a hockey analogy. I'll give you another one. Think of the great one, Wayne Gretzky. You know, if Wayne Gretzky is thinking that what sports writers are saying about him are true, you know. He says, uh, according to sports writers, I'm one of the most effective hockey players ever in the NHL. Um, That I was fast, that I was a good uh, playmaker, and a great team player, and I had this special ability to know ahead of time where the puck puck was going to be. And if he were to say to himself, you know, I think they're right. See, that would not be a contradiction of humility. That would not be pride. That would be self-realism. At least in my judgment, I think he's all of that and more. On the other hand, if Wayne Gretzky were to begin to think that I'm well-known, I have celebrity status, I'm the best hockey player or second or third best ever in the NHL, I deserve special treatment, I am more important than others. That would be totally hypothetical because that's not the way I see Gretzky. But were he to think that, that would be pride, you see. It's not thinking less of ourselves but somehow it's thinking that we're more important than others because of our capacity. That would no longer be realistic self-appraisal. Humility is that attitude that says others are at least as important as I am. Their needs and their preferences are at least as important as my needs and my preferences. And that's Paul's teaching. Romans 12:10. be devoted to one another in brotherly love and then he says honor one another Above yourselves. Philippians 2, he says, Likewise, in humility, consider others more significant than yourselves. Now what does that mean? Does that mean we have to fib to ourselves and knock ourselves and say, that is that really true, that others are more important? I'll tell you how I take that, and I, I think there's good reason to take it this way. It's taking a position. It's It's a posture. We approach life, we approach fellowship with that posture, that leaning, that inclination that the other person is more important than I am. And that would be the meaning of the word consider, you see. Reckon. Take that into account. Assume that the other person is first rather than yourself. That would be humility. You know, we like to be around humble people because we feel affirmed in their presence. Somehow, by their attitude, their interest in us, they help us to know that we matter. And we need to know that. Humility is an attractive quality also to those outside the faith. What Philip Yancey said about that really resonates with me. I'm sure it's true. He says, consistently, I have found... The uncommitted respond best to someone who leads from weakness rather than from one who has it all together. You know, you approach someone as if you got it all together, it's going to raise, well, suspicions. It doesn't have the ring of truth, does it? Realistic, self-appraisal, but when humility is missing and pride is allowed to dominate, fellowship fellowship is damaged. Well, how can we, how can we sort of check ourselves in this? Not to, not to grade ourselves, but just to be aware of how to uh, work towards humility. How can we tell? Well, as we examine ourselves, one would be simply self-forgetfulness. Um, Being self-absorbed would be the opposite. As we said earlier, not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And then secondly, consistent with that would be allowing others to shine. That would be another symptom, expression of humility, affirming them and empowering them, enabling them, and sometimes getting out of the way so that the moment can be about them. And the third one, and this one's difficult, but being teachable and having a capacity for self-criticism. Realistic self-appraisal. <laughs> if it's realistic, then why know I don't have it all together yet. <laughs> a long ways to go. A recent article in Christianity Today is entitled The Science of Humility. And it reports on some research. And uh, one would be we, we tend to see ourselves better than others in some examples and this is almost humorous, 93% of U.S. drivers see themselves as above average. (laughs) Another example, if I do well on an exam, it's because I'm smart. If you do well, it's because the exam was easy. If I get in an accident, it's it's because of external causes, such as ice on the road. I don't know how to, if you fall asleep, I'm not sure what that means, but um, if if I get in an accident because of external causes, uh, that's why, okay? But if you get in an accident, it means you're a bad driver, you see. But humility stirs this all up, challenging us to confront ourselves and seek to grow where we find ourselves lacking. And I would say that in terms of our faith, humility helps me accept that I'm still a sinner and I still need forgiveness. And it helps me to, to accept that my understanding of the faith will continue to need some editing. And that the more I know, the more I realize how much I don't know. Knowing that I don't, that I don't have it all together yet. But what happens when this is lacking within congregations. I think we can relate to what many years ago William Barclay says. He says that in every sphere of life desire for prominence and unwillingness to take a subordinate place wreck the scheme of things. A player is one day omitted from the team and refuses to play anymore. A member of a choir is not given a solo and will not sing anymore. So often, even in churches, trouble arises because someone does not get his her place. I think it's so obvious that if there's going to be good relationships, if there's going to be a strong sense of community, humility, indispensable. Second quality, gentleness. Be completely humble and gentle. And That word can also be translated meekness. But it refers to the consideration for the feelings and the rights of others. The word was used of an animal that was so tamed and domesticated that it was completely under control. Gentleness, meekness is strength under control. Choosing not to use your strength or opportunity or position for (laughs) self-gain. Restraining yourself, not using it for self-gain. It is generous restraint for the sake of others. Someone has written that meekness is the strength to back down from a fight that you know you could win. And so it's not weak. <laughs> meekness, gentleness here, strength. In, uh, in uh, about four years ago, in an edition of Christianity Day, John Ortberg wrote a tribute to Dallas Willard. Some of you may be familiar with Ortberg. Uh, uh, many years ago, he wrote the book that uh, if you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. Any of you uh, read that book? He's a pastor, still going strong as far as I know. But uh, Dallas Willard, a uh, well-known writer, uh, I've read several of his books, and on your own reading list, you might want to pick up one of his books. A good one to start with would be uh, The Divine Conspiracy. But uh, Willard passed away a few years ago, and so Ortberg pays this tribute to him in Christianity Day, and he includes an anecdote about what occurred at one of his lectures, where a listener challenged him with a statement both offensive and incorrect. And so Willard paused, he thanked the person for their comments, and then he simply moved on to the next question. And afterwards, somebody asked Willard why he had not countered the student's argument and put him in his place. And this was his answer. I'm practicing the discipline of not having to have the last word. That's what gentleness, meekness means here. Generous restraint. And that would be spiritual maturity. We live in a culture where there's so much emphasis on our rights, you know. We want to stand up for our rights, and certainly Christians should be the first ones to be concerned about human rights for others. But there's so much in the New Testament about being prepared not to lay claim to our rights, to pass by on my own right, And you see, really, when you think about the Sermon on the Mount, it seems that most of those qualities that Jesus was talking about is being generous with what you're entitled to. You know, forgiving, Uh, being generous, literally. Giving time to others, going the second mile, turning the other cheek. And so instead of a controlling, dominating, demanding spirit, the gentle, meek person has a submissive kind of a spirit. And again, it's not weakness, but it's strength. Ephesians 5, 18 and following, uh, in this very same epistle here, the Apostle Paul lists the characteristics of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And one of them is simply this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another. Give up your right. Surrender. Surrender for the sake of the other person, which would be generous restraint for the sake of other. And again, do you suppose, do you suppose that a shortage of this quality impacts our fellowship with one another? I think so. And then the third quality is patience. Be completely humble and patient and gentle and be patient. Leslie Flynn says, isn't it strange that a man can fish all day waiting for a nibble and not get impatient? But when he gets home and dinner isn't ready, he gets mad because he can't nibble immediately. Ah, I think patience is something that we all have problems with. But it's the ability to make allowance for the other person's shortcomings. It's tolerance of others' exasperating behavior patience then is treating people with grace according to what they need rather than what they deserve in 1st Timothy Paul gives something of his personal testimony stating that he is the very worst of sinners having been a persecutor of the church and then he talks about his Lord's unlimited patience, unlimited patience he says for that very reason I was shown mercy so that Christ Jesus might display His unlimited patience as an example of those who would believe on Him and receive eternal life. It's a Christ-like quality. Galatians 5.22 says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Patience and kindness. Now maybe we don't like being called to patience and yet there is a reason why i think every one of us would vote in favor of this quality because (laughs) we know that people need to be patient with us you know there are things about us that irritate that exasperate people and so uh, yeah it's a pretty important quality to have within the fellowship because i need to be patient with you but you need to be patient with me because we all have rough edges. We need each other's patience. And so Paul says in First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, he says, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. Be patient with them all. Paul continues, and then he shows how patience is expressed. Be patient, bearing with one another, in love forbearance bearing with one another in love and here's where i referred earlier to the new american standard showing tolerance for one another in love matthew 17 jesus expresses his expresses his frustration with the disciples that's that account that he has just come down from the mountain a man approaches him He is desperate about his son's illness. And he says, I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. And then Jesus expresses frustration. He says, oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I put up with you? (laughs) Same word. Same word as forbearance. How long shall I forbear with you? Showing tolerance in the way we relate to other. I notice that it's with one another, so it's a two-way thing. I need to show tolerance in the way I relate to you and you to me. It's a mutual dynamic. And then, of course, he says, in love. It takes love to be patient. Well, all of these together, humility, gentleness, patience, Forbearance. All of these are part of what it means to love in the context of healthy relationships. Being, becoming, not just a friendly church, but a place where friendships can grow into relationships. Community. All of these are needed. Now, it could be that you know, some of you would, 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 would rather hear things about holding people to high standards instead of, you know, giving them so much room. And there's a place for that. <clears throat> but please understand that this talk about patience and tolerance and forbearance, uh, it's, it's not about tolerating sin. It's not about not uh, holding each other accountable to tangible sin we need to do that but again in the context of these of these qualities in humility in forbearance in patience see we need all of those and it could be that the very people who are especially frustrated because we talk too much about being gentle and and being gracious to one another it could be that they of all people need to hear more about being patient it's possible yeah in a column entitled Search of Spiritual Community, one writer reports that the main thing community seekers are looking for are three things, acceptance. I don't want to be excluded because I'm not at the same place in life's journey as you are. Willingness to get to know me because I have needs and hurts that have brought me here. Is there? Do these people really care? about who I am. Oh, they, they remember my name, but, but are they interested beyond that? Willingness to get to know me. And then a place where I can work with a circle of friends toward growing and serving. Hmm. Got a long ways to go, but I want to be in a place where I can make progress. That would be a community where these qualities are common experiences. Mark Buchanan tells about an anthropology student who spent a summer among the Navajo in New Mexico. And he fell deeply in love with the people and they with him, and especially with an elderly woman who became like a grandmother to him. The day came when he left and his hardest goodbye was was with her. And the Navajo are not known for long speeches. All she said was, I like me best when I am with you. Yeah. Isn't that exactly what we want individuals to be able to say about their experience with being in our fellowship? Somehow, these people, these people at Ambleside Baptist Church, they bring the best out of me. And I think that's all, that's what we all want. We want to be in that context where we can become more and more who we're supposed to be. Feeling at home, feeling we belong, warts and wrinkles. Knowing that it's safe to take off our masks and still be accepted because we're at home. But again, see, that's only going to take place where there is a good level of humility, gentleness patience and forbearing love and frankly these qualities are best developed in relationships where do you find out that you're lacking in humility in your relationships where do you find out you need to work on patience in relationships where do you get a chance to exercise and to develop forbearance in relationships see the default in all of us, really, is to gravitate towards people who are very much like us, right? And whose personalities sort of fit nicely with our own personality. They say opposites attract. Well, I guess, again, it's where we sort of fit. That's a default. And that is what we can expect in a fellowship where Christ is not the head. But in the church, well, a good, healthy church will be made up of a wide assortment of people, mature And those not so mature. People at different levels of education and affluence, Jews and Gentiles. Uh, Paul was celebrating that the barrier between the Jews and Gentiles had been broken down. I think one of the strengths of Ambleside here, really, is that we have so many ethnic groups. It's the way a church should be. And yet, in all those differences, the wealthier people, the poorer people, the different ethnic groups, the better educated, not so well educated in community together. Experiencing community even though consisting of imperfect people with rough edges. Possible because we are growing in Him towards greater humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance in love. I want to close by giving you a preview of what's to follow. Hmm. He says in the next verse, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Do you suppose that these qualities in verse 2 have anything to do with the unity of Spirit among us? I would say so. I would say so.